this time. And if you're not and you want to see more of Emma and you're not her parents, then you'll just have to volunteer in the children's ministry because uh, that would be a, an easy way to see that face. But uh, as we get started, you know, Emma saying, you're amazing just the way you are. And, uh, and when was the last time in your life that you really felt like that? Or when was the last time in your life that you heard someone say, you know, you're amazing just the way you are? Now, for me, it happened this morning. <laughs> not, not so much. Um, <laughs> not too many of us hear that. So, so when was the last time we thought it ourselves? When was the last time we thought, you know, pretty amazing just the way I am? Now, some of you will remember Stuart Smalley from uh, Saturday Night Live who would say, I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and gosh darn it, people like me. Others of us, we don't have that same kind of mental uh, ability, so we've got to try and mentally enhance ourselves, whether that's with education or support groups. Others of us uh, want to physically enhance ourselves, so we work out. Others of us, um, we, we take to different kinds of physical enhancements like uh, I was reading about this 2008 study from the American Society of Plastic Surgeons that predicts that there will be more than 55 million cosmetic surgeries performed in 2015. 55 million cosmetic surgeries. That's like one procedure for every five Americans, including children, based on census populations. In 2007, Americans spent $13 billion on 11.7 million surgeries. In 2009, those numbers went up to uh, 12 or 13 million. Now, I'm not bashing plastic surgery. I'm just merely using it as a point that some of us want to physically enhance ourselves. Um, so if, we're, if we don't quite think we're amazing, just the way we are, then, then when was the last time we thought someone else was amazing, just the way they were? So best way to do that is think about if you're in relationship, if you're in a close relationship with someone. Maybe, maybe you're married or dating or you have just a really good friend and you would say that person is amazing just the way they are. I, I noticed all the married people are like, do I seriously have to answer that question? <laughs> no, you don't. But according to uh, Jennifer Baker of the Forest Institute of Professional Psychology in Missouri, 50% of first marriages, 67% of second marriages, and 74% of third marriages end in divorce. So I, I'm guessing those people don't think their spouse is the most amazing person or amazing just the way they are. So if, if that's a little bit shattered, then what about uh, the last time you thought the world was amazing just the way it was? Uh, I picked out a few statistics that uh, highlight... I think things that are broken in our society. So, uh, internet pornography, $57 billion in revenue worldwide. $12 billion of that is from the United States. That's more than the combined revenue of professional football, professional baseball, and professional basketball combined. Um, that's more than the combined revenues of ABC, NBC, and CBS. It's a lot of money. 
for something that I don't think is very amazing. Uh, in 2008, the World Health Organization found that the United States had the highest number of illegal drug users in the world. I don't think that's so amazing. And, uh, and in, in the areas of hunger and poverty, 20 children die per minute from hunger in the world. Per minute. I don't think the world's amazing just the way it is. Um, and I think that when we, when we think about these things, uh, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to not think of them in light of what we were made for, in light of who God is. And so last week we talked about that we were and are made for a purpose, that we're created to be in relationship with God, to worship God, to be in awe of God. And that just means that, that he's far more unexplainable than explainable. And, and not only are we to worship God, that we're made to create life and to manage life on this earth. And so today... Instead of talking about being made for a purpose, today we want to continue that discussion and talk about what it means to reflect and what it means to be made in the image of God. And so we're going to look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. If you have a Bible or if you have a phone on your Bible on your phone, you can look at it. It'll be up on the screen, but let me just pause and, and let's pray. God, we have, uh, you know, we've had a crazy morning. Uh, we pray for Michael recovering from uh, uh, allergy that put him in the ER. Um, we pray for Jake and Kristen as they went off to the ER to go into labor. We pray that they wouldn't be sent home. Um, God, we pray for uh, Lisa and her family at the death of her grandpa. God, all these people that um, have agreed to serve um, you here um, have experienced these tough things. And, and, and right now there's a group of people that are here, God, and we're here to explore your word. We're here to worship you. We're here to, to hear from you, not from me. So we just pray that, that you would open our eyes and our ears to what, what you say about being made in your image and how we're to respond to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Genesis 1, um, God makes this pretty cool statement. He says, let us make human beings in our image, verse 26, to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the flocks and the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry on the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So when God says, let us make humans in our image, um, some people would say that's a reference to this idea that God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, once something we call the Trinity. Um, it could be that. It could be that, that God has already created the angels, and so he's speaking kind of in the heavenly realms, and so he's saying um, in this divine or heavenly realm, hey, let us make humans to be like us. Um, it's to say that we're similar to God. It's to say that we're a representative of God, much like uh, some of you know I have these small little offspring that usually like sit in the front row here and they are like me but heaven knows and God thank God that they will not grow up to be me <laughs> they will be little representatives of me in small ways but they will never grow up to be me just like we won't ever become God but we can be like God we can be a reflection of God 
we can be a, a representative of what the image of God looks like on earth. And that's what God is saying, is I want you to be this representative of me. The all, all of you encompasses who I am. So my, my physical being, my intellectual being, my emotional being, my spirit, all of that encompasses this image of God. And so in, in Psalm 8, one writer puts it just beautifully. He says, when I look into the stars and the night sky, and I see the works of your hands, and the moon and the stars you set in place, who are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them, for you made them just a little lower than God, or you made them just a little lower than angels, and you crowned them with glory and honor. Sounds like God is saying, you're amazing human beings just the way you are. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority and the flocks and the herds and the wild animals and the birds and the sky and the fish and the sea and everything that swims through the oceans. Oh Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Should see a lot of parallels back to that first story in Genesis where God is saying this creation I'm setting forth and I'm calling you to be representatives to reflect my image, to care for creation, to steward this or manage this well. Different writer, same idea. Really understanding what it means to bear the image of God. And, and what, what, mean, what I mean by like being an image bearer of God is, is someone who carries the image of God with them. So in ancient times, there, was, there were people called armor bearers. And armor bearers were people that like carried the armor for the king. Because that can get kind of heavy. So he'd have one person designated to just haul his armor around in case he'd ever need it to kind of put it on. Then there's, there was someone who was a shield bearer who carried around the shield for the king in case he'd ever need it. And then there was someone who was a sword bearer. I think you get the idea. Carries around the sword. So an image bearer was one who carried around the image of God. And that's what God is saying in these statements. If, if, we're, if we're almost divine... Then, then all of us, not just the spiritual part of us, but all of us, our physical being has this component of being made in the image of God. Our spirit has this component of being made in the image of God. Our brains have this component of being made in the image of God. So let's do a little, a little test here. Um, we're going to show some pictures, and you see if, if your brain says, yes, that's someone who is made in the image of God. So we'll start with... This person, made in the image of God. And this person, made in the image of God, or these people. And that person, made in the image of God. And those people, made in the image of God. And this girl, made in the image of God. And this gentleman, getting some air, made in the image of God. And how about him? Made in the image of God? These young executives, made in the image of God, complete with badges, get into their building. That one might be a little easier to say, made in the image of God. I don't know. I don't know if, uh, do we have any more, Mario? That's it? Okay. So, 
when you look at these images, did your, did your mind, did your eyes, did your heart have a different reaction as you saw these different people? These pictures of people that resen- represented unique images of the divine. None of them were God, but they, were, they are created to be a reflection of who God is. And if it was, like, if your reactions changed, were, were different, depending on the picture, then I would say we might, we might have a distorted reflection. If it went positive or negative, or, or you, like I said, you changed, you might have this different reaction. You might, um, it might be distorted. Maybe it's, maybe it's cultural, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's something more than that. And I would say the reason that we have these different reactions to those pictures is because something inside of us is cracked. And fortunately, no kids touched these this morning, cause, and, and they're all gone, but I'm like, oh yeah, sharp objects with small children, not smart, Rob, but we're new, we're practicing, we're not, we're, I'll just keep using that excuse for several more months. But, but because of sin, because God made us in his image and he created us to be like him and to be in relationship with him and to be perfect um, in his image, uh, we chose to do things on our own. We chose to say, you know what, God, I know this is what you say is best, but I really want to do this. That's just called sin and, and what happened is that our image was cracked. It's not to say we're not valued, we are, but it's cracked, it's distorted. And so we look at things through these cracked lenses. We look now into a reflection where we can't quite see everything. And so when, when that happens, when we realize that we can't see this, I'll, see, I'll use the word perfect, but I don't mean it, but when we, when we can't see this and instead we look into these cracked images, we often try to pursue a better image ourselves, to fix the problem ourselves. I think one of the ways that we pursue this is in the pursuit of beauty. You know, like, I got a new sweater. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and my wife, you know, she made sure to ask the ladies at the store if, if, uh, if people would be able to look at yellow for 30 minutes or so, um, which I was slightly embarrassed about. But, you know feel a little better when I got a nice new sweater on. You know, some of us, I think a lot of us, like to pursue that beauty. Um, but are we ever satisfied? And sometimes we, in our, especially in America, we get such a warped idea of beauty. And with all the technology that we have, it's almost like we keep seeing more and more images that are more and more unattainable. And so we got just a little video, and you may have seen it before. It's a couple years old that just shows in about 60 seconds how distorted this pursuit of beauty can become.
crazy, huh? Like, is that even the same woman that was photographed? I would say it's not. It's a distorted image, and you might say it's, a, it's an enhanced picture, but I would still say it's a distorted image of someone who doesn't truly exist. And that's the problem when we try and pursue this beauty, um, is that we keep looking at images of people who don't really exist. That's why I quoted the statistic on pornography, because a lot of those pictures are of people who don't really exist. And it distorts and, and it just further cracks the image. Very closely related to that pursuit of beauty is this pursuit of perfection. Not just in the area of our physical being, but just in the area of our overall who we are. We think that because God's perfect, I need to be perfect. And so if that's the case, then I can never let anyone down. I can't let anyone know I failed at anything. I can't let anyone know that I might have failed in school or I might have fa- failed at sports or at work or um, at relationships or at life. And maybe you felt this way before. You felt this, this pursuit of needing to pretend like everything's okay. Like everything's just fine. And that gets really challenging because because everything's not fine for most of our lives, and so we have to put on these different masks and these different costumes of who we are. And we have to be this person in this realm and this person in this realm and this person in this realm, and I've got to keep all those different people straight. And then if, if you think that you have to be a certain way to be a church person, then that's a whole other outfit. I even have an acquaintance that's in that's in ministry, and they have one Facebook profile page for their personal life and then one for their work. And I'm like, but you're one person. You know, God came as the person of Jesus in one person. He didn't come as several different people. And so when we put on these different masks, and I've tried it before, it's very hard to keep up. We, we have to keep shuffling around who we are, and no one ever really knows the true us and and really, we're just trying to show these fractured pieces of our image to, to maintain this level of pursuit of perfection so everyone will think we're okay. When the fact of the matter is that God already thinks we're okay. God still thinks of us as his image bearers, even though we're cracked. And he loved us so much that he pursued a relationship with us. And he loved us so much that he sent Jesus to live this one life. So it's not about being perfect. In fact, I think we should adopt a statement, and, and I probably would have adopted it as an official slogan had not all my friends stolen it. This idea that no perfect person is allowed. Like, if you're here and you think you're perfect, um, you're just going to be frustrated. Because we're not. Most of us are not. And we don't want to be perfect. We want to be getting better. We want to do things well but we're more interested in being authentic people. That's why we do the sometimes awkward, like, several minutes of greeting. You know, we don't just shake hands and say, hi, nice to see you, hi, nice to see you, where we have a few more minutes. So it's not just hi, nice to see you, it's, oh, where are you from? And what if we run out of time in that, oh, I might have to disclose something about who I am. And we're not forcing something or we're not trying to force something but we are trying to say this is a place where where you can be who you are and that's okay because that's what an authentic person is and so that's who we want to try and become
I think the other way that we pursue kind of a shattered image is in the pursuit of power. In the ancient world, the only people who were said to be made in the image of God were the ones that had the power. So they were the kings. And when um, in the Roman Empire, when, when at the time of Jesus, of his birth, the Caesars were in power. And they were said to be Lord or a God. Um, and they were made in the image of God. But see, the kings were messed up because the kings exploited people. The kings used their money and their influence to... to pursue and further their own advantages and their own agendas and their own advancements and kind of disregard the peasants and the poor in their kingdoms. And it's easy to, to just like say, oh, that was really awful, but just 150 years ago in our own country, our skin color determined whether someone was a whole person or whether they were just three-fifths of a person. This pursuit of power takes on so many different forms, the most shattering of which are when people become objects. Um, and so the Covenant made this video um, that really talks about that. And um, it was hard for me to watch the first time, but um, I think it's worth showing um, what happens when we pursue power and perfection and beauty kind of all in the same realm. So go ahead and hit that for me. trafficking takes place everywhere. And although I heard about it in foreign countries, to realize that this is happening in my backyard with this many kids was scary to me. We've seen a dramatic increase in the number of minors that are being sexually exploited. Drug dealers are dealing children instead of dope. It's far more lucrative and far less risky. And it's really slavery, modern day slavery, in its purest incarnation. The sad thing is that when these children get arrested, they're treated as prostitutes, uh, they're treated as delinquents, and that's obviously not what they need to be treated as. But I think law enforcement, their hands are tied because there's no facility to put these kids, except group homes and foster care. And they really need special care and they're not gonna get it in a delinquent setting. They need a care setting. 80% of these girls are runaways. 80% of these girls are looking for a sense of somewhere to belong, a home. They need a place. Because at the end of the day, they're children, and we forget that they're children. In North America, there are very, very few care facilities. It's sad. This needs to be an emphasis, and I believe the church needs to step up to the plate. about the ideas of, of pursuing performance or popularity or conforming. Um, but all of these ways are ways that we 
pursue these cracked images to try and fill these, these holes that are left in us. Um, that just being so, I guess, obvious. Um, and so I love that, that the church that, that helped or the, the group of churches that helped start restoration um, is taking efforts in this area of human trafficking um, because the world is, is messed up. It's, it's shattered and it's broken and it's hurting. It's why we started restoration. It's why I felt like this burden to come because, um, because we are made in God's image. And, and Jesus came and he figured this out. He got this. It said, he said of himself, anyone who has seen me has seen God. And it was said of him that whoever has seen, or that Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God. So if Christ is the perfect reflection of who God is, then then we should follow him. We should look at at what he says. And he says um, some pretty strong statements about this area of images. For example, in, in Matthew Jesus confronted these religious teachers, the ones who, who made it difficult to find and follow God. They made it, they acted spiritual or religious, but they really truly weren't. Um, and he says like these seven woes or these seven accusations to them. And sometimes in your translation, it'll be said, what sorrow awaits you, which kind of sounds a little passive, but what he was really saying to a group of people much like this is there were religious leaders scattered throughout listening to what Jesus was saying. And he was saying, woe to you, like, dude, you have missed it. Or, excuse my language, but like, it really sucks to be you. That's the kind of statement this woe to you is saying. Like, woe to you, you teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees, you're hypocrites. Matthew 23, 23. For you are so careful to tithe even your tiniest income from your herbs and your herb gardens, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice and mercy and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. You are just blind guides. You strain out the water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but instead you swallow a camel. Like, I hope that you get that Like Jesus is bringing these harsh statements. So if you think Jesus is like this warm, fuzzy, Mr. Rogers type of religious teacher, at like small moments, but usually he was fierce. Um, It's why C.S. Lewis describes him as a lion. Like he is coming out and he is bringing this truth against these religious leaders, but it's clouded in so much first century language that it gets difficult to understand. So we'll just take a couple minutes and try. Um, He's saying you tithe on the smallest things. This, this idea of tithe, which really just means tenth, came from um, when Abraham, who was kind of the first Jew or the first um, person that was in a relationship with God and, and where the nation of Israel came from, this person donated a tenth to uh, a priest king who was in the land of Israel before Israel even adopted it. So this practice of the tenth was started there and then continued because this group of people in the nation called the Levites, they were just one tribe or one clan, uh, one giant family, if you will, who was, who was supposed to take care of the priest, uh, take care of the temple, take care of the tabernacle, take care of the religious duties, pastor, if you will. And so they said, okay, your inheritance will be from the other families, from the other relatives. They'll give 
a tenth of theirs to support my work here. And their inheritance will be that. And so that's where it started. And so that continued on throughout the land of Israel. So it's not talked about a lot in the New Testament because everyone did it. It was cultural. Everyone practiced this. In fact, the religious people got so good at it that not only would they practice giving a tenth of their income, well, then they would go to the grocery store. They'd end up at Cub Foods, and they'd pull down, or, or Byerly's, if you will, because that's carpeted. That's kind of fun. And they'd pull down their spices, and they'd pull down their food, and they would start, they would take their loaf of bread and slice it and take the tenth off and, and give that. And then they would go to the meat, and they would hack off a tenth and give that. And then they would go to their little spice racks of these little tiny jars, and they'd somehow slice off that, and they'd spend so much time trying to get all this right so they could say, I give a tenth of everything. Well, here, there's like poor people and exploited people and marginalized people like walking by or asking for something and needing something, and, and they're so busy with their noses in the air, like counting out their spices that they've completely missed it. And so when he says, you're blind, you've, you've forgotten this, it's not that he was saying, we shouldn't give. He was saying, we shouldn't give and then just ignore these other needs, these needs for justice and mercy and faith. So when he says you, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel, like both of these, an, these uh, insect, the insect and the, the animal were considered unclean or unfit to eat. But it's, it's interesting that um, the gnat was so small that if it happened to get in a glass of milk or in a glass of wine or whatever, they would let that go. That one didn't really need to be counted. So they could still be considered clean and religious and all of these things if they swallowed that little thing. But they wanted to get it so right that they completely missed it. So the bottom line to all that diatribe about, about this first century language is in their pursuit of things that, that mattered, of what they thought, they were spending so much time on what they thought mattered that they completely missed it. And Jesus calls them hypocrites. And so if we're made in the image of God and we believe that Jesus is the true reflection and image of God, then we should reflect that. That means we should see others as image bearers of God. So, so I don't, I mean, I guess if you want to tie the tenth of your spices, we'll, we'll take it. But I, that's not really the point. The point is that we should be generous people. But more than that, the point is that, that we should see others as image bearers of God. The point is that when we see those pictures of people that we put up, that all of those people we should have the same reaction to as people who are made in the image of God. That we can continue to see that and we can continue to do something about, about restoring what's broken, not only in us, but also in the world. And so what does it look like for us to act with justice and mercy and faith? In our lives. I mean, Jesus says that's the thing that we're, we're forgetting here or we're missing, the justice and the mercy and faith. So if, if we do believe that the world is shattered and hurting and broken, and I've tried to set that up in what I've talked about, that it is shattered and hurting and broken. And, and, and that's why we started this, this church to be a community of people that are fixing what's broken in those things, like the complex, compartmentalized um, complicated lives that we try and live, these ways that we try and separate out everything, um, all of the pieces of ourselves so no one can really know us. And then when we try to say, oh, maybe church is the answer, we might come, but we don't want to come with all of our stuff. We don't want to come and say that God wants to make us whole. We don't want to say that Jesus is going to be over all of it. 
Um, that's why people try church and it doesn't work. But if we're going to be a community that says, no, God wants all of it. He wants, he wants all of our lives. He wants all of us, including the ugly parts. And, and we're going to work on accepting each other. We're going to see each other as reflections of God's image. That means when somebody says something that we totally don't agree with, we're not going to like all over them. We're going we're gonna to say, you know what? God is working in you and God's working in me and I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. That doesn't mean we're going to stay shattered forever. It just means we're going to walk together towards who Jesus is. And so when we talk about our motto of being restored with God and with others and with what's broken in the world, I think some specifics that that means is that number one, we just admit that our lives are a little more shattered than we'd like to say. And that to some degree or another, we have to just come to the end of ourselves and say, you know what, God, I'm cracked. I'm a little messed up and I need your forgiveness. I pursue the wrong things, whether it's perfection or power or beauty or performance or greed, and I need you to take that out of me and I need you to li- help me to live what it means to be authentic. I hel- help me to live in relationship to Jesus, help me to follow Jesus. I just have to come to the end of myself. That might be one thing it means. I think another thing it might mean is that in restoration with other people, that we start seeing those people all the time as being made in God's image. So I was trying this throughout the week as I was preparing and seeing the grocery store lady and the gas station guy and all of these people and the, the parents of my kids that when I drop them off to school, and, and I found that it was a lot harder than I thought. I like to think that I'm Minnesota nice, and that's really just a pile of junk. Uh, <laughs> Minnesota nice is just like this cliche way to say, mm, we'll all be kind of polite but not really get to know each other because we don't want to impose on you. You know, I think Jesus threw himself out there and imposed on people, but he did it to get to know them. And so do we want to do that? And then, and then restoring what's broken in the world do we as, as people who are bearing God's image and we're cracked, we're not saying we're perfect, but we're not saying we're worthless, do we treat others with justice, mercy, and faith? Do we have compassion on them? Do we, do we walk into their lives? So, so specifically for us, we're starting life groups, um, ways small groups of people can get to know each other. We're, we're having a women's getaway as ways that, that we can just be honest and, and relaxed about, about who we are. These are, are ways that we can, we can say we're cracked, but we're not worthless. Um, and you're not worthless. And, and where is it that God is restoring you? Because this is where he was restoring me. So those are some specific ways that I think that we can move forward in this area where we're made to reflect God's image. So whatever way you want to put that into your life, the way it was for me this week is that I needed to see every person as someone who is valued and an image of God. So maybe that's it for you. Maybe it's something else. But let's pray and ask God what it is. God, this is so much more than just words on a page. This is, this is what it really means to be human. To be made to reflect your image is to acknowledge that you do exist, that you have created us, that we're good, um, that, we're, that you actually created us as perfect reflections of you, to be like you. Um, and so we admit that we're cracked and we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and that your Holy Spirit would heal and your Holy Spirit would point out the specific ways that we in our lives, not just as a community, but individually, aren't quite reflecting you. Not in this way to, to try harder, God, but in this way to admit that we need you and your spirit to heal us, to lead us, 
So God, would you show us this week what it is specifically for us? Would you show us if it's to uh, find out more about these life groups or to go on this women's getaway or to um, just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast my lot with these crazy people at Restoration that put sh- broken glass up in the front of the church. Um, God, would you, would you help us to see with your eyes everyone, everyone that we meet as an image bearer of you. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us as we um, sing one last song this morning? Make this your prayer today. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Oh, you know. 